Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is David Birnbaum. I'm here with Tim Moen, and this is the Heart on Liberty podcast. Each episode, we discuss something going on in current events or a philosophical premise, and we try and deconstruct it from a libertarian perspective. Today, we wanted to talk about the recent shootings uh, in El Paso and in Dayton, and we're going to lead off with Tim giving us a bit of background on on these and, and letting me know because I, other than the very brief, um, you know, stats, uh, I, I don't actually know much about the shootings. Yeah, well, okay. Um, so obviously everyone knows that there was, uh, I think it was 34 people killed in mass shootings over the weekend. The, the you know, the, the first one was in El Paso, 22 people killed, I think 26 injured or something like that. And uh, that shooter was uh, wrote a manifesto that uh, was clearly uh, it was sort of it, it, I mean it, it was politically motivated. Let's say he had a political mm. agenda and he used violence. So that was pretty clearly a definitionally a terrorist act. Um, the second one uh, I, I don't have as many details on the young man um i think he shot his sister and a bunch of other people in a bar uh so that one seems to be a little bit more personal uh i don't think they they have a motive yet uh you know the the interesting thing about these two cases is that the one guy was basically you know i read his manifesto and he's essentially a white nationalist he he wants to separate um, the races in America into their own separate territories. He's upset with race mixing, and he went specifically to El Paso. He drove, I think, uh, something like 600 miles to El Paso to a border town so that he could shoot Mexicans um, mm. with the with the intent of starting off some sort of war or uh, uprising that would take care of the immigrants. The second guy was on you know, the Antifa side of the spectrum. Apparently he retweeted a lot of Antifa stuff. He, uh, he, you know, retweeted common leftist tropes. Um, and, and so he seemed, so these two guys on the surface seem like they're at opposite ends of the political spectrum and here they are engaging in shooting. And of course this has been politicized, you know, the Dayton, Ohio, shooter not so much because he's left wing um and so you know they're not going to <laughs> focus on that fact very much but certainly they're focusing on the politics of the right wing shooter mm -hmm. and you know trying to make linkages from him to uh the current political climate under uh donald trump and and you know making the case that that in some way trump bears responsibility for this for you know, creating a safe place for these kind of uh, nationalists to to go. And, you know, he's been called everything from a white supremacist, a white nationalist, you know, he, it, it, it's pretty crazy. And, and then, of course, you have the gun rights people saying don't ban the guns. It's not too soon to politicize that at the same time. You have the anti-gunners uh, saying, are you, do you, can we ban guns now, man? Like, yeah. have you had enough yet? Right. Um, so and there's lots going on here. You know, one of the, the interesting things was Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, put out a tweet 
and what was his tweet? It basically said something like, you know, we lost 34 uh, people over the last 48 hours in mass shootings. To put that into perspective, we've lost 500 people due to vehicle accidents, uh, 200 people due to the flu. And he went down a list of all these other things that are causing deaths over the weekend. And he basically said, uh, people are moved by stories, not data um, yeah. or something like that. And I thought that was a great point. Um, so that's, that really, yeah, in that's a really interesting point. I think it's kind of makes sense that the, the right wing guy or the, the, the nationalist is being politicized more. Um, and like none of this seems new, right? Like this is kind of anyone who follows the U.S. at all. This is standard, right? Mass shootings politicized you know if the the right wing more politicizes it not when it's a left-wing person but if it's like you know a, a muslim or an islamist or, or whatever that kind of thing um and the right wing politicizes it or the left wing i don't know i misspoke but you get what i'm saying right right um and i think that's an interesting point that i didn't actually think of is putting it in the perspective because you always hear about gun deaths very loudly and and intently um, but you don't hear about all the other deaths, um, like Neil deGrasse Tyson would had pointed out. But I still think, you know, I'm still on the fence and I'm still trying to wrap my head around exactly how I feel about uh, gun laws and, and gun deaths and this kind of thing. And, you know, we've done episodes, you know, one on immigration um, and one on guns. The immigration one, I think, does capture a lot of the issues with why people are why people are like anti-immigrant, right? And about the, the overall system. But what I really want to hit on is actually, regardless of them, of, of anyone saying, you know, this is Donald Trump's fault, right? Um, for someone to be an extreme right-wing person and to go out and do something like this is, is both extremes faults, right? Like, I don't think Donald Trump came out of nowhere. Donald Trump came out of the, the, the far left, um, you know, uh, identity rhetoric, right? The identity politics that's being pushed by both sides just pushes people further and further extreme, right? Mm -hmm. It's the left wing that's saying white people are other, white people are lesser, or we need to take things from them and that kind of stuff, which is re-entrenching the white people, right? And and, yes. they, and it's, it's also creating this dynamic. So even if, you know, the the Dayton, Ohio shooter aside, even with just a far right extremist, there are like there is, uh, you know, culpability on both sides of the extreme political spectrum. And that's something that the left wing still refuses to acknowledge at any level. Right. right. Like they still even refuse to acknowledge that they created an ecosystem that Donald Trump uh, could get elected in. Absolutely. Yeah, no. And, and this is what I really wanted to talk about today. What's so where is why? Why are we seeing why does it seem like we're seeing more of these um, mass shootings, right? These motivated mass shootings. And I'm not talking about, you know, I saw another meme up there. Of course, people are <laughs> white dudes are are understandably sensitive about being attacked these days from all angles. And so they're, they're putting up silly memes, right? There's, there's this meme going around of all the, all the mass shootings this year. And, you know, there's, it's a pretty diverse crowd and, and, you know, actually whites are in the minority on this, right? But of course, all the guys, you look at the pictures and they're obviously 
gang dudes, right, with like face tattoos and stuff like that. So these are drive-by targeted gang shootings or people spraying neighborhoods because they're on a gang rampage. And and that's the fault, you know, that that that's what you get when you have a drug war, right? That, that the, these the, the, these things are something different. These yeah. are um, the, these are motivated in a different way, and and I think it's a relatively new phenomena that we're seeing, you know, like school domestic terrorism, and basically domestic domestic terrorism, but and and also non domestic terrorism too, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the the nine eleven attackers had in some ways. I, I bet you there's a lot of similarities between the uh, trajectory of their lives and and the trajectory of the the lives of these two uh young men that that shot up you know these establishments yeah uh, lately right so um so we know a few things about these mass shooters right a, a lot of them are on on ssris implying that there's some mental history there now i used to think that maybe there was a link or some causal link between SSRIs and rampages that, you know, that they, one of the side effects of these, these drugs is suicidal tendencies. Right. Um, but I think overall they actually decrease the suicide rate. And I, I had one physician who's a fire, who, who's the only guy who has actually done any real scholarly research on firearms uh, really, uh, on, on firearms legislation and how it correlates to uh, to violence, um, and he shows very clearly that there's no correlation between legislation and violence rates either on either side. You know, so he he's brought in by a lot of gun advocacy organizations to speak and say about talk about how gun laws don't don't affect the rates of violent crime. Um, so. Like and, I have but, to jump in but, there. But I, I, I just, I just want to say that yeah. he, he, he has sent me research that, sh- or, or data that shows that as antidepressants have increased, we actually see decrease in violent crime. But he wouldn't go as far to say that there's no, no. Uh, I mean, we can't say for sure whether these SSRIs are, in some cases, with certain individuals decreasing the obstacles they have or in some way motivating them to go out and shoot. But anyways, go ahead. Yeah. Like I have to jump in and to talk about, you know, the, the legislation topic and, and we can get back to like the, the, the atmosphere of society that's leading to these things, which I think is really important as well. But you, you have to be able to contrast the U S versus any other country. Right. And the fact right. that they just, yes, there are lots of other deaths, uh, you know, that outrank, uh, gun deaths, right? But gun deaths uh, are infinite, okay, not infinitely, are significantly higher in the U.S. than anywhere else in the world. And so, you know, where there is more access to firearms, there is more firearm death, right? Yes. Um, and so, you know, I think it's important to talk about, and, I, and I'm not, you know, when we talked in, in our gun episode, I think I was more in, in the camp of, you know, free guns for everyone, let's say, more in a, a particularly libertarian stance. And my stance hasn't changed because of, you know, these shootings, right? But it's bit like I'm still trying to formulate that stance. Um, right. And one thing I think is particularly interesting is the idea of if we were in, you know, an anarcho-capitalist society, let's say, my city could ban guns, theoretically, right? Sure. Um, but 
that is actually largely fought against because of the Second Amendment. So it's actually like um, there's a heart like I think there's even more gun freedom right now because of the government um, than there might be with less government. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on that. But also, like, I do think there needs to be some sort of limitation on weaponry, right? Like we did talk about, you know, can they have a, a bazooka? Like can, sure. if, so, if if this guy had access to a rocket launcher and he, and he went up on a hill and just like shot at and blew up a bunch of buildings, you know, that would be clearly not right. Yeah. Um, and so it's, you know, what is the, the tipping point of if, if, you know, in an objectivist sense of the government's to protect people from other people's violence versus you know, in any other context, what is the limits there? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we we touched, uh, we we covered a lot of this on our our gun episode, right? And and I think libertarians have some work to do in this area because you know, if you look at a fully privatized world where property is all privatized or something like that, and property owners are coming up with their own rule sets, well, you know, just think about your own house, right? Um, now, I'd let my friends who are proficient at firearms use pack heat in my house. They, they don't have to check their weapons at the door. They can come in and I know them. And, you know, I, I actually feel safer with them walking around my house with that gun because I know they're proficient at it. I know I trust them. I know they're not going to pull it on me. I know if anything, they're going to use that thing to protect me. And I especially feel safer if I'm a dangerous neighborhood or something like that, if they're in my house with that, that thing. Now, on the other hand, a guy shows up at my door that I don't know with face tattoos and I know the feminists tell me I'm not supposed to judge a book by their cover, but uh, yeah, I'm judging them by his cover. <laughs> that guy, uh, you know, I might entertain a conversation with them, but he's going to have to check all those weapons at the door and uh, <laughs> before he can come in. Right. And so so, you know, first of all, I, I want the left to admit that gun control is enforced by gangs of people with guns using violence and threats of violence okay so that's the first thing so so the left isn't uh isn't in favor of gun control they're actually in favor of of a gun monopoly of, of imposing gun violence they want right. to use gun violence to ban certain <laughs> well it's a gun monopoly right which is you know well, the, it's not the... just a gun monopoly david it's if you want to confiscate and ban guns you need people in uniforms with guns going door to door, threatening to use those guns on people who don't hand over their property that is now banned, right? So the left needs to, needs to admit that they're asking for gun violence when they want gun bans. Uh, but the right also has to admit that, um, that you don't have the right to go on other people's property with your guns like that's not an inherent right like that that's the whole point of property rights is that i can exclude you for any reason including guns and and so um and and so to to say that a city can't ban guns is to say that there there ought to be zero rules in the commons at all right and even in an anarchist world an anarcho-capitalist world there's going to be rules in the commons i mean you're not going to be able to litter on the streets you're not going to be able to do whatever the hell you want you have to abide by certain uh social norms and you know uh, people walking around with bazookas and fully automatic machine guns are probably not going to be allowed in cities right for good reason it's not a good defensive weapon right it, it, it can't be used defensively that well 
Like you can use a handgun defensively. You can make a case for that. And, you know, I, I would certainly in my city allow people to pack concealed carry. I think it would keep criminals on edge. But I'd also want to see some proof of proficiency, right? I wouldn't yeah. want uh, just the average thug walking around, uh, you know, waving guns around. I'd, you know, I'd want to make sure they had some training and, and that they had. So, but then on your own property, if you own farm a farm somewhere, you know, if you want to fire off bazookas and machine guns on your own property, go ahead, right? I don't think armed men should swoop in there and steal that. You're not hurting or threatening anyone with those things um, yeah, on your own property. So, I, I mean, libertarians have to grapple with this a little bit. You can't just say we we want we want there to be a prohibition on private property at the same time we want there to be zero rules. What you're asking is for the government to impose rulelessness, right? But what we want is a marketplace of rules that that comes from a, a private property society. Yeah, and, and I understand that, but like how I'm interested in how we go about changing something now because it seems right. evident that we're not well, well, we're far away from Libertopia, right? Sure. Um, but it's evident that there's something that could be done to limit some of the, these issues. And so, you know, when it comes to, yeah, the idea of right, proficiency but, but here, but or here, background here's, here's, checks, here's the right? Thing. Like, I, in, I, it, is there no room for any sort of hybridity right now? Because in Libertopia, no, no, you there's could no prove room for proficiency, right. and, and you could require a background check to enter my city yes. with a gun. So, why wouldn't it be allowed that any new purchasers of guns? have to submit to a background check or yeah, or need I, I to show have, proficiency to carry within any city or, or that kind of thing. Sure. And you know, look, I don't have a huge problem with cities banning guns. I just think it's completely ineffectual. I mean, you just have to look at Chicago. Chicago essentially bans guns. And yet it's got one of the highest gun bans, right? And it's not, it, it's not because they ban guns that they have a high gun rate. And it's just irrelevant. It's just irrelevant. The law is irrelevant and it's becoming increasingly irrelevant, right? Like you can 3D print guns now and that technology is only going to get better. So how's the law going to crack down on that? And so what we need to do is really focus in and figure out what are the roots of violence? Because if you don't have guns, we, we saw uh, an incel that was very similar to these guys who are, let's face it, they're probably losers who aren't getting laid and are social outcasts and ostracized and probably hate the world. We saw one of these guys in Toronto not long ago run down a bunch of people with his van, right? He was right. mad and at the world common... and, he, and, and he used the tool that he had available to him to hurt as many people as possible. So what we need to Right, but if he had a machine we... gun, he could sure. have hurt a lot more people, yep. right? And, so and, it's about, is, yeah, and... is there a way, is there any flexibility to limit the amount of damage he can do, right? Like if he had a bomb yeah. and blew up a building, that's a lot worse than hit it, like running people down with a van. And Absolutely. the gun is somewhere in between those two. Yeah, and, and I, have, I have no problem keeping weapons out of the hands of people like that. I just, I, I am, what I doubt is the government's ability to effectively enforce or, or use rules to stop that kind of thing, right? Um, I, I, I don't know what you do. I mean, but it seems uh, like most, like the the idea in most in the average person's mind is it seems like most other countries have quote figured it out, right? 
and that they're not having this amount of gun deaths. I do want to add sure, that in the sure, past but, month, but I, there's I think... been like a, a, a staggering amount of gun uh, of shootings in Toronto and the GTA. I think there were three or four in Markham, right? right. And, and you don't you don't get hear much about it. Um, it's more violent than New York right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the, the, I think the policy that is credited with uh, doing the most, most, having the most impact on crime in New York is the broken window policy or something like that, where, you know, they basically fix the city, they, they make it nicer, they, they get people to care more about the city. And, and some of these crimes stop happening so much, right? Because yeah. social pressure forces these people out, right? But Well, and that's and, what we talked about in the gun episode at length is the idea that we need to fix society, right? Like these people right. aren't just like mentally well in a, in a, you know, in a well-adjusted society and they go and kill people. But, and I, I so maybe we'll switch to that briefly. Well, uh, and, and I just want to add one quick thing. Like, you know, the, the thing you ought to be, that ought to concern us is violent crime, right? Violence in any way. And so um, the, if you look at places that ban guns or don't have guns, there's like parts of Canada have higher, higher violent crime rates. Well, we just talked about how Toronto has higher violent crime rates in places than New York city, for example. Um, but you know, there's stabbings, there's assaults, there's all sorts of things that occur whether you have firearms laws or not. And, um, you know, the pro gun people will tell you that, that, um, banning guns actually increases the rates of other violent crime. I don't know if that's true or not, but it, there doesn't seem to be any correlation with gun laws and violent crime. It's just that right. these mass yeah. shootings are, are spectacular. They hit the limbic part of our brain and create an emotional response. And, and I mean, you know, Neil deGrasse, deGrasse Tyson hit the nail on the head here. You know, data is what's important here, not emotional, uh, the emotional narrative. But unfortunately, right. and, I, and I get that. But I think that's a bit of still I still think it's a bit of a I don't know if I'm using this term right, a red herring argument, because you know, I, my, my brain jumps to a gambling analogy, right? So, you know, talking about the violent crime rate, that's like talking about the probability of winning, right? But what's actually important is the, is the, um, I forget the second term now, well, but the actual it, it, like it, it, expected, it, it, the expected, uh, monetary outcome, right? Right. The, right? the probability so, that you're going to win when you enter a casino is very low, but the probability that someone's going to win is almost guaranteed, right? No, no, no. I'm actually talking just about you going to a table game, right? So you, let's right. say you go to a table game and your probability of winning is 40%, but your expected value is still like 0.1 cent on the dollar because if you win, you only win 10 cents. So you still right. win, but when you lose, you lose $100, right? So okay. just talking about the violent crime rate, that's like talking about the probability. But what's actually important is the expected value, which is when there's violent crimes with machine guns, those are yes. like, so you have to factor right. the, not the amount of violent crime, because you have to factor in the like deaths per violent crime, right? So, right. and guns are the only thing that we allow that can significantly increase that into the dozens, right? Like it's, it's often hard in any scenario where you have a van that you can run people down, a gun can kill, you know, two, three, five, ten times more people in that right. same scenario. 
So uh, yeah, but I that mean, is an important it, factor. I think it, it is. It is an incredibly important factor, but it's it's one that government is unlikely to be able to control. Right? I mean, what are you going to do with the? I, I can't remember. There's how the, there's something. There's some ridiculous number of guns in the U.S. There's more guns in the U.S. than there are people, right? There's four um, and forty-two. I read a stat: forty-two percent of the world's guns are owned by U.S. Right. citizens. Well, and and you got to remember the U.S. was founded when libertarians shot a bunch of conservatives and formed a new government, right? So that yeah. it's very ingrained in the U.S. culture. I mean, like, like, let's just look the day after the founding of the U.S. Right where they use these guns to secure their independence, are you going to ban guns that day? Well, no, no effing way, right? Like these people that just won their independence saw these as tools that they needed to stave off a government. Well, are you going to ban it the day after that? What about the day after that? What about fifty years? Like it's ingrained in their culture now that these firearms are are necessary tools to protect them from a tyrannical government. They're tools for hunting for whatever. Um, that it's their right to own it. Now you're going to now what policy could you possibly enact that are going to confiscate the majority of those guns and get well, them out of the hands of people? Right. They've uh, banned automatic weapons, right? Like, uh, you sure. know, 20 years ago well, or yeah, something. And, and that's right. And, and I mean, that's relatively easy to ban. Right. Uh, but OK, let's let's say they hadn't banned automatic weapons uh, 20 years ago when it was when they were starting to be manufactured right before that it, they were like essentially military hardware only the military could get a hold of them because they were that 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 too was spurring on that technology right and so they mm. recognized okay these are these are war weapons you know like tanks and, and bazookas or whatever yeah. uh we we want to keep them out of the hands of civilians and they prevented that from happening from ever happening but let's imagine that there were 300 million fully automatic machine guns in the US. How are you going to confiscate those, right? You're not. People are going to see it as their right to, to have them. So people, I mean, all these weapons that are being used in mass shootings now, um, well, I think the AK-47 that kid had, if it was an AK-47, is illegal. Like, you, you just can't buy them. So I'm guessing it was some derivative, kind of like an AR-15. Um, it, it was probably a semi-automatic uh, weapon. Uh, and semi-autos aren't banned. I mean, handguns are semi-automatic and there's many rifles like AR-15s and numerous others that are semi-automatic, which means you depress the trigger once you get a round. You have to depress it again to get another round. Fully automatic is you hold the trigger down and it mm. it fires bursts, right? Um, or, or just continuous fire, uh, hundreds of rounds per minute or, or whatever. And so these semi-automatic weapons aren't banned. They haven't been banned ever. And... To, to now say we're going to confiscate them all is to ask for a civil war, basically, right? And so, so it's. So, do you think nothing can be done? Because again, most people's responses is that, well, look, yes, most I, countries I, don't have this problem. Right. So, what can we do about well, it, these shootings, or do we just accept the stats of it? Like, how many people die of heart disease every day? Right. Like, right. it is significant. Like, not that many people die. Um, relative to all causes of death still. Absolutely. And I'm not saying to do nothing, right? What I'm saying is let's focus, let's look at the root of the problem. Let's see if we can figure out what that is. Because I think there might be something we can do about the actual root of the problem, that the roots that create the violence that we're seeing in this world right now, whether it's with a gun or a van or a knife or uh, a homemade bomb or whatever, right? Um, yeah. 
the, the, if you look at the lives of these young men that are causing this type of violence, this politically motivated uh, violence, um, the, there, there's a common trajectory there. And it, it, it's not about the ideology. I, I, like the ideology plays a role in it, right? Like, uh, you know, the ideology just is about who their target ends up being, but not the fact that they want to kill. Right. right. I well, think it, that's and, and, and I think the ideology can contribute to motivating them to kill a little bit. Right. But but mm. there's a reason they're attracted to that type of ideology. Right. It, yeah. So, so if, if we look at jihadists or Islamic uh, terrorists, right, they, they are um, their, their ideology or, or their their religious leaders or the, the people that they're looking up to uh, make a case that that they ought to kill. It's going to get them virgins in paradise or they're going to be, their life's going to mean something, you know, they're going to get everything they ever wanted if they go out and kill. And that I think certainly would push someone over the edge if they're on the bubble. Right. Uh, but mm -hmm. what attracted them to that ideology to begin with, what were the, the preconditions for them even be attract being attracted to something like that is what I'm interested in. And I think there's a similar trajectory if you look at these kids lives, right. Um, yeah. and, and if, you know, I did a little bit of reading on the, the El Paso shooter, uh, he, it sounds like he had a pretty terrible childhood. Um, you know, like, I think something like 90% of these, uh, these mass shooters are come from fatherless homes. Uh, they have histories of being bullied. Um, you know, uh, and, and you look at their pictures, right? These are all, <laughs> They're, they're giant nerds, okay? They're, they're people that look, you, you can just look at them and say, that is a, not a very attractive person. This is a person who doesn't have their life together. They have giant mushroom haircuts. They, you know, have, like, they, they bear, they, they look like social outcasts, put it that way. Yeah. If you, just at first glance, right? And if you dig deeper into their history, they were social outcasts. They were bullied. They were, they, they, you know, they, they're just not competent people. Right. And so, so, you know, I, I think this is what we're seeing across the board. And I, I think that for sure the, the political rhetoric and the media rhetoric more so um, contributes to feeds their, their uh, victim narrative. Right. And mm. because we have this victim narrative everywhere. Right. And so, you know, if you're not a competent person, well, if you're if anything, a bit of a loser, yeah. Sorry, I just want to say, if if you're not a competent person, if you're a bit of a loser, if you are not killing it at life, if you're not having luck with the ladies, if you're not getting jobs, if you're not being accepted socially, um, you you can go one of two paths. One is to look in the mirror, say, okay, Bucko, it's time to smarten up. I'm going to hit the gym. I'm going to start to figure out what's going on here. I'm going to clean my room. I'm going to get things in order. I'm going to control what I can and start to build up my character and become more competent in this world. But the other way is um, I lash out at the way I, I see how everyone else is the problem, how everyone else is causing my suffering. And I fixate on those people. Right. And then I come across an ideology of a bunch of other losers who see who have figured out who the bad guys are it's the infidel it's the immigrants it's the the left it's it's these nazis right um and and they glom onto that and they're like yeah yeah it's those guys and if i just if we could just deal with those guys then everything in my life will be better right then things will get better 
or they just become completely nihilistic and say, well, this world needs to burn and I don't care if I burn with it. I'm just going to light the match or whatever. Right. Either way. And, and this victim narrative is coming at them from all angles. It's coming at them from the left. It's coming at them from the right. Um, and it's coming at them from everywhere. And I I mean, this, this also is a little bit of the difference too. and, And why I think fatherlessness plays a role here is that if, if your kid is struggling in life, they're not, if, if something happened in school, if it was, if there was a bully or something like that, and they come home after being bullied from school, they're going to get what they need from mom and they're going to get what they need from dad. And what is it that they need? Well, they need empathy and they need love and they go, oh, they're there. But they also need someone to tell them, okay, here's what you do. You stand up to the bully. I'm going to teach you how to throw a few punches. I'm going to teach you how to defend yourself. I'm going to teach you what to do when you're confronted in this situation. I'm going to give you a bit of competence here, right? Uh, but right now, in a fatherless home, what you get is, oh, it's there. It's that bully's fault. It's like the, there's nothing. We're going to march to the principal's office. We're going to solve this. We're going to, you know, whatever. It, basically, mm-hmm. you're removing any agency and responsibility that kid could have for improving his situation. And it is a bully's fault. Yes. <laughs> but there are things you can do to protect yourself, right? There are yeah. things you can do to, to stop that from ever happening again, from making yourself not even a target. And these kids aren't learning that these kids are getting, Oh, you're the victim. You're the victim. You're the victim. Poor you, poor you, poor year. And they're glomming onto ideologies then that tell them, uh, who, who is causing all this problem. And, and then they're, they're going out and doing something about it. Right. Listeners to this podcast get a one-week free trial to the Warrior Path. So sign up now. The details are below. I was coming off a stint in management uh, when I signed up for the Warrior Path, and I was pretty soft. I'm not going to lie to you, David. <laughs> I was uh, out of shape. I was huffing, and I had to come back to the floor, kick in doors, hump hose, fight fire, and I needed to get into shape. And Chad Kirkham at the Warrior Path definitely got me into shape. Uh, you know, I've, I've never felt better to be honest. And he had an app that tracked the progress. I sent videos to him. Uh, it was, it was a really slick application. Actually, I, I would send videos. He'd correct my form, send me little tips and, and videos. And, uh, and whenever, whenever I needed, he was available. And I'll tell you, I, I put on, I think about 50% on all my personal records in about a two month period. Uh, working with the warrior path. I'm interested then to know what you think is step one, right? Because like our gun episode, we talked at length about the problem of society and touching on these these issues, right? Which is the biggest thing, right? And I, I agreed that regardless of, um, you know, whether or not people think guns should be banned, a mentally well and happy person doesn't go out and kill people, right? Right. Um, and so... What do you think the first step is um, other than trying to trying and failing to get the political rhetoric to somehow improve overnight? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I think and this is going to sound like a broken record. You probably heard me talk about this before, but I've talked about how the state, how statism, how big government interferes in community and connection, breaks up families, all these things. Right. And and so. 
you know, if, if we look at the root cause, which is probably starts in the home, probably starts with a breakup of the family start, you know, we, we just need to start repealing, uh, rolling back government in a, in a big way. Right. And, and look, if you look at, for example, um, the, the black community in the U S you know, before the welfare state and before the Democrats, the Democrat policies, the, the, Black family was a strong unit. The, it, the rates of uh, illegitimacy, for example, were lower in the black community than the white community. The family, the black family, was stronger than the white family, in other words. But since democratic policies and welfare, and, and I mean all these laws, you know, minimum wage laws were targeted at black workers. They 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 were leftist policies that were targeted to keep the black uh, blacks out of the marketplace to make them jobless, because if they raise the the uh, the price of work to that level, then they knew the blacks weren't going to be able to compete. Um, what the welfare state was largely targeted at them. And now you have broken homes and you have gang warfare and you have hopeless kids out on the street looking for other hopeless kids to gang up with, to give them some sense of meaning and purpose and, and, uh, pointing their guns at, at who they see as the biggest problems, you know, the, the so, so to me, the, the 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 solution is very clear. We have to repeal these laws that have broken up families, that have incentivized um, fatherless homes, that have incentivized uh, dependency on the state, that have incentivized a victim narrative. Um, you know, because in order to be a dependent, to be, get fed as a dependent, to get that that those handouts from the government, you have to point out all the ways in which other people. Uh, how it's not your fault that you're in the situation you are in, which implies that it's other people's fault, right? Mm -hmm. if, if it weren't for all those other people. So the victim narrative is at an epidemic high and it's there because um, because of a, a big government. But we can also turn it around. You know, we, we don't need to rely on the government necessarily to turn around this victim narrative. We, we all have contributed to it in some way, right? I, I certainly have done it. I mean, early on in my libertarian career, um, it, it was easy for me to focus on government as as the source of all evil, right? And and to mm -hmm. ignore the fact that there are things in my life that I could be doing right now that will make my life better, that will give me more liberty, that will give me more responsibility, that will increase my sphere of influence and competence to make this world a better place. And, and I was ignoring doing those things because I was so fixated on this thing that I couldn't do anything about anyways. Yeah. You know, I was pointing when out I think obvious that's attacks, what right? so. everyone I know, that's their focus now, particularly when it comes to the government and, and Trump, right? Like, right. They, they are so fixated on the news and on the, the big picture. And, and, and that's built into the left wing narratives, right? Like it's about virtue signaling. Oh, I voted for these people. I don't have to improve anything in my own life. But right. I, I think that's a very important point. Well, generally, and, and I want to say this too. I want to take it a step further because I've been concerned about this for a long time. You know, I've seen this trend for the last two years. I've seen libertarian, some libertarians drift off into the alt-right, into nationalism, into even ethno-nationalism and fascism. And it's concerned me. And, and, you know, I've been trying to pinpoint what it is, what's attracting these people to that. And to me, it again, it comes back to that victim narrative, right? That what needs to happen is society needs to change wholesale for my life to get better. And if it doesn't, I'm screwed. And yeah. so 
so so I've learned, okay, I need to stop contributing to this narrative. But more than that, I, I have a real heart to help young men get their lives on track, to get more responsibility, to be, to to <laughs> To, to kick more ass in life, right? To, to become better people, to be to improve their character. And so what these shootings have done for me have motivated me not to go lobby government and say, listen, we need to reveal government. We need to stop these horrible, toxic laws and this rhetoric that is driving people apart and creating fatherless homes and creating uh, a victim narrative. What I want to do is focus on what can I do to help these lot these men that's what it's motivating to me to do so when i saw the shooter i, I was re really sad to see this happening it, it made me you know weep for the plight of young men in in western civilization and where they're headed um mm -hmm. and it made me want to it motivated me to want to get off my ass and actually start doing something about this and and speaking to young people and providing them some tools and some mentorship to get their lives on track. That, that's really what they need. I just I can't help but think if, if these young men that I see had a father figure, a mentor, someone that, that could teach them um, that yes, the world sucks. Yes, you're a victim in every way, but guess what? You don't have to be. There's a lot of ways where you're not a victim. There's a lot of ways where you're competent, where you have power in your life, where you can create opportunity and choice and, and improve your life and create uh, more liberty for yourself. And, uh, you know, fixating on your oppressor and on uh, on being a victim is not going to is not a strategy that's going to help you get what you want in life. Uh, but yeah. here are some strategies and I'd like to help you. Yeah, that, that, that's I, what it motivates me to do. And I think if more people had that motivation, if they first looked in the mirror, thought about how they're creating a victim mentality in themselves, in their own lives, fix that and then thought about how they could help up others come to the same realization and, and do the same thing I, I think that would go a long way to helping solve this this is something that you and i can actually do david you know mm -hmm. we, we're not likely to repeal the welfare state or do any of these things um but we we can do that yeah and i think that's a really good point and an important point about how like when if there's something you want to change how can you start to actually impact it not 10 years from now, how can the government do something? Maybe. And and I think starting on any topic, that's the way to start, you know, a libertarian revolution as well as right. anything you want to change, figure out how you can actually start impacting it. And that strategy is also kind of evident in, in what I hear about strategies about gang violence and these sorts of things. It's how do we put programs in place in these cities so these kids have somewhere to go after school so they're not like you know aimless and and they have some role models and like that's the strategy you hear um within cities uh you know more targeted toward gang violence and stuff but when, when you look at the broader picture and especially like small towns um where a lot more of the the white people uh the disaffected white people might be it's important to to figure out how to do these programs more broadly as well it, absolutely yeah yeah it, it's um yeah it, it's a shame it's a shame it's uh it's really disheartening and you know we're, we're heading one direction and that is towards uh some sort of violent conflict or civil war or fracturing of societies and nations um because <clears throat> look the, there's fatherlessness that you know i think there, there's two tracks that the victim narrative and occur 
takes you on, right? It's, well, it's either, if you decide you're going to become a victim and that you are are going to lash out at someone, um, you can either go the left route, right? Which is father is evil and um, we need to lash out at father. Or you can take the right route, which is I long for a strong authoritarian father to fix my problems. And if I can't do that, well, I'm going to be a lost boy and I'm going to uh, take matters into my own hand and become the authoritarian that I long for yeah. in my life. Right. And, and neither of those are healthy, um, healthy attitudes towards masculinity and what we need are healthy attitudes and competency when it comes to masculinity. Uh, mm. We need, we need masculinity and, more than ever healthy masculinity. Right. Yeah. And I think it's important to start showing examples of what that is because it's, you know, masculinity is so vilified and that sort of thing, but also it's the idea of repression, right? Like depress someone's depression, someone's suicide. It's the exact same um, framework and, and stepping stones as something like exploding and, and, you know, going and shooting 20 people. It's, it's about being forced to repress your natural reactions, your emotions about the world you're in. And, and that's why you see it's Trent, like, it seems like there's a lot of, uh, you know, white people who do it because they're even told that their victimhood isn't allowed, right? So they, they're trained to be a victim, but then they're said it's not allowed. You can't feel this way and all this stuff. So it's, they're just, they repress, they repress, they repress, they explode, right? And so yeah. some people, it becomes a depression. It's very much an internal focus thing. Um, and then maybe it leads to suicide, but other people, it explodes out at society, right? Um, yeah. But it's it. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, I wouldn't even, you know, if you're exploding, if you're angry all the time, I'm, maybe repression is the right way. But I think, you know, anytime you have any of these negative emotions, anger, frustration, whatever, those emotions are trying to tell you something, right? There's mm -hmm. some unmet need that, that you have. And, um, and it's important to understand internally what that unmet need is. That's the only way you're going to meet it, right? And, it, and to yeah. make that unmet need to, to place the ownership of that unmet need onto other people, whether it's immigrants or uh, terrorists or Nazis or leftists, um, you, you remove agency from yourself and you make others responsible for how you're feeling. And then you lash out at those people. And we see this at all levels of society now. And, and it, it's endemic in, in all politics, right? Like the, the right is, is scared as hell that Justin Trudeau is going to win or the left is going to win. And so rather than voting for principle or for putting their fear aside, they, they, they embrace their fear and <laughs> they lash out at the people that are causing them the problem in this case, Trudeau, right. Or Sheer mm -hmm. or whoever it is. And, and so that's how they make their decisions. That's how they vote, right. They vote based on fear because, uh, and, and so what we need to do is understand that fear is trying to tell us something. There's an unmet need. Only we can address that. The politicians aren't going to address that. The government's not going to address that. No one else is going to address that properly. They're going to just create more fear for you. That's what their job is. It's to instill fear in you and become the solution to that. And until people recognize that, um, we're bound to continue down this trajectory. Yeah. I agree. And hopefully, you know, people hear the message and, and start realizing it and making changes. Um, but I want to thanks. Thank you for uh, talking with me and, and informing me a bit about this. And it, it's always interesting and unfortunate when when things like this happen. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it is. You know, I <laughs> there was I was doing a little bit of research 
uh, on this. And I look back at uh, Timothy McVeigh, right, the, the Oklahoma City uh, bomber, the domestic terrorist. And I found out an interesting thing. A lot of these things, and may, maybe we ought to save this for another episode or something like that, but there, there are some very similar themes in their manifestos or their writings, right? Between, I was looking at Timothy McVeigh, Ted Kaczynski, and this uh, latest El Paso shooter, I can't remember his name. You know, they're, they're all very wary of technology. They, they all, you know, they're, there's, they're wary of the direction the, com- the country's going and they, they enact violence to, to do something about it. But one of the facts that I found interesting was that Timothy McVeigh, Ted Kaczynski, and uh, the original World Trade Center bomber, he was an Islamic terrorist. His last name was Yusuf. I can't remember his first name. But these three apparently ended up in the same supermax prison and had regular uh, philosophical conversations together in that prison. So here we have three people. So we have an Islamic terrorist. Uh, Ted Kaczynski was essentially a Luddite who saw technology as the bane of all things. And then we had Timothy McVeigh who had a beef with the federal government and wanted to inflict you know, damage to the federal government. Um, we had these three people coming together and and you know having a conversation over the state. I mean, in some respect, these people would be en- enemy combatants, right? And, yeah. and here they are at a table. I just found it an interesting thing to see. Like it, that's what made me think. Okay, what's the common thread here between these types of people, right? And the common mm-hmm. thread is that they're all see themselves as victim victims of a system that that is oppressing them and they they uh, had the reasons for using violence removed from them right or the reasons for not using violence removed and they they decided it was okay to use violence to try to fix this and ironically um in doing so they did more to harm their causes than they did to produce right if, if your goal is white nationalism and you write a white nationalist screed and then go off and kill a bunch of people and horrify the nation um, you're more likely to cast white nationalism as a villain than you are to engender any kind of um, sympathy towards your cause. But yeah, anyways, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And yeah, <laughs> uh, hopefully we don't have to talk about this, you know, again sometime soon. Hopefully there are less uh, shootings, but you know, you never there know. There won't be. There won't be, David. There's going to be more. I mean, uh, th- this trajectory is headed one direction, right? I mean, is the victim narrative getting lesser or is it getting greater, right? It, it's only getting greater. And the media is feeding this narrative. And you hit on it earlier when you said, look, this, this was started by the left, right? I mean, the left really, I mean, it's all about the oppression Olympics, right? And the right mm-hmm. eventually said, well, okay, I guess we're oppressed too. You know, the whites are oppressed, like we're, it's white genocide. It, the immigrants are invading us, right? All this rhetoric about how we're under attack um, is, is helping fuel this victim narrative, right? And, and um, you know, but, but the, it, it's interesting to see the leftist media just fuel that victim narrative even more and ramp it up even higher. And I expect the right's going to do even more uh, to re- up their victim narrative game to retaliate, right? And explain how white men and, you know, that white civilization is, is at risk or something like that, right? And, 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 and I mean, this is the natural tendency. Like, like you, you go into a prison, like I said in another 
podcast, you, you know, for your own safety, you know, if there's a gang that's going to attack you because of your, your identity, here's a white dude, David Birnbaum in prison. Well, David, uh, you might, might want to set, hide the fact that you're, you're Jewish and join up with the guys with the swastikas, right? Because they're the ones yeah. that are going to protect you because you look the most like them. And, yeah. and that, that's what the left is trying, is essentially doing. Well, they're, yeah. they're pushing people into these, this tribalism. Now, yeah, it's like time, whoever declares to... tribal warfare can't then be mad that they end up losing the fight a bit, right? Like, that's a terrible way to put it. But the left is declaring tribal warfare and then being woe is me when the right starts engaging in it, right? Like, right. And, uh, and, and, and the, the challenge to us individualists, us libertarians, is to try to inoculate people against this, right? It, it mm -hmm. is to try to say, listen, you are being pushed. And, and I mean, you're, you're a neo-reactionary or whatever. Like, I, I remember when this started happening, when, when the left really ramped up their narrative, and I saw libertarians branching off into the alt-right and going even towards ethno-nationalism and fascism, the, the, they were taught calling themselves reactionaries, right? And, and to me, all I heard was, okay, you're puppets on the left string then. I mean, basically, mm -hmm. that, that's what a puppet does. It reacts. The, the puppet master pulls its string and it reacts. It jerks its arm. So you're admitting yeah. to me that you're, you're, you're just a puppet of the left. You, you are being played by them or something like that. And, um, and so it's sad. And so what I want to help do is cut those strings and get people to think for themselves and recognize yeah. that they can chart their own life, their own destiny. And it, the time for talking is not over yet. It's not time for violence. Um, you know, if the left keep, keeps going with this and keeps pushing this victim narrative, you know, unfortunately, I, I don't have much faith that the right is not going to push, is not going to do the exact same thing. And that it's not going to essentially be a civil war. And at that point, David, you and I have to pick a side and it sucks, right? For our own protection. It's like going into prison. Like you might have to join with the swastikas in that prison if, if you're going to protect yourself, even though you hate everything about them they're protecting you right and and that's a shitty part and i just hope there's enough left of liberal western civilization that that there's enough respect for the individual that we can carry on having a civil discussion and keep talking till our, our faces are blue to prevent that from happening yeah i agree and you and i can do it so it starts there and then yeah. branches out uh boom. boom so thanks for uh, the chat and thanks for everyone who was listening. Be sure to let us know your thoughts on these shootings and the gun debate, um, the broad gun debate generally. This is Hard on Liberty. Check us out, facebook.com slash hardonliberty.